Well, our sermon text for this morning is Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. People of God, this is the word of the Lord to you, his people. Listen to it. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We pray that we would have ears that are willing and able to hear. We pray that what we hear this morning would, would transform our journey all the way to glory. We ask this trusting in the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've reached a major turning point in the book of Luke. We could say this is a chapter heading, starting a brand new section. Because we've been talking about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. He's been hinting that he's headed there. But here's that moment where he actually starts the journey to his final destination. This is that moment where, you know... Plug the address into the GPS, start navigation, and Siri starts telling you how to get there. So we need to have that mindset as we go forward, because this is a long section. We're going to hear reminders that Jesus is on the road all the way to chapter 19. But everything that happens up to that point is going to be in this context of a slow but steady and determined movement to Jerusalem. And what we need to see this morning is that what Jesus tells us about his own journey actually 
tells us something quite astounding, something quite crucial about our journey. Jesus' journey tells us something about our journey as disciples, as followers. And it's this. Do you want to join Jesus on the road? Then you need to know that following Jesus requires costly commitment. A costly commitment. We're going to see this first with Jesus' journey, verses 51 through 56, but then what that says about our journey, verses 57 through 62. Verses 57 through 62, we we hear about Jesus' journey. We hear that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, why Jerusalem? Why such determination to go there? Well, we need to remember that Jesus has a divine mission. Everything he's been doing so far, the miracles, the healings, the, the parables, the shocking statements, they're, they're all part of a divine plan that leads straight to a key destination, which is Jerusalem. Luke wants us to realize, remember, all the way back to, verse, to, to the first chapter, he's writing that we might have certainty concerning these things regarding Jesus Christ. Unless we fall into the thinking that everything that's been happening is just the random narrative of, of a guy in first century Judea. Lest we start to think that what's going to happen in Jerusalem is all just an accident. Luke says, no, this is all going somewhere. It's all part of God's overarching plan. So what's on our Savior's mind as he begins his trek to Jerusalem? First, suffering. Jerusalem is is a black hole. A black hole of rejection and misery for our Savior. It's the place where he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He just told us that in in our last passage. It's the place where he's going to suffer and die for our sins. It's a place of humiliation. But not only that, it is a place where Christ will begin to enter into his glory, his exaltation. Look back at verse 51 here in our passage this morning. It starts off. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. Now, mysterious words there. Interesting word. What is it talking about for him to be taken up? We're going to have to wait a while to see exactly what he means by that. But but, But as those who have already been taught by the things of the gospel, we have a sense. This is his ascension to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is already has his eyes fixed not only on the cross, but what's beyond the cross. The glory that is to come. 
his vindication, and his being seated at that place of honor, the right hand of the Father. He's focused on that glory that follows. And so as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, as he starts trotting along that journey, I want us to see this, that he is like that servant of the Lord that we just read about in Isaiah chapter 50. What do we hear about that servant? We heard that he uh, suffers humiliation from the people, and yet his face is set like flint on the purpose that God has given him. And he knows he will not be put to shame. That's the pattern of our Savior on his journey. Total commitment, costly commitment to our Father's mission. So that's Jesus' mission. Well, what's his journey going to be like on the way there? What's it going to be like all the way to chapter 19, all the way to Jerusalem? We get a snapshot here in verse 52, and it shouldn't be incredibly surprising at this point. It's going to look like rejection, like humiliation, suffering all along the way. Because Jesus sends his disciples straight south into Samaria. Now, if you're looking at a map, you know, Jesus is up north, and if you want to get to Jerusalem, fastest way there is to go straight down through Samaria and he'd get right there to Jerusalem. He sends messengers proclaiming his, his mission, getting ready uh, for him to come down and to, to lodge there in Samaria on his way. But verse 52, what's the first thing that happens when Jesus begins his journey? The people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. We could talk about all the, the peripheral reasons for why this is the case. Samaritans and Jews don't have a good relationship. The Samaritans are absolutely opposed to the kind of worship going on in Jerusalem. They have another mountain that they worship on, Mount Gerizim. And so there's this whole history of tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Luke points us to a deeper reason for this conflict. It's because Jesus' face is set to Jerusalem. He's receiving this rejection because of his costly commitment to the Father's will. So what's the first thing that happens? Jesus has barely started off and he's already experiencing suffering. For this commitment. This kind of suffering, this kind of rejection, it's just a bitter taste of what we're going to see time after time after time. All the way to Jerusalem, where we reach that very height of rejection. Well, what do his disciples think about all this? We, we heard a lot about his disciples last week, you might remember. We heard about their failures. They want, what did they want as a faithless and, and crooked generation? Jesus' disciples wanted glory apart from suffering. They wanted greatness without humility. They wanted uh, status more than service. 
And unfortunately, that's exactly what we see here once again. They still don't get Jesus' costly commitment. Because here's James and John, the so-called sons of thunder, and what do they want? Jesus, give them suffering. Give these Samaritans suffering. Call down fire from heaven. Give us the glory. Right here, right now. But Jesus rebukes them. Goes on to another city. Why? Because he knows his way all along the journey is a costly commitment to suffering unto glory. Humiliation and then exaltation. So this is our Savior's journey. But along the way, as he's uh, beginning this path to Jerusalem, we get a picture of what this means for our journey. Did you notice that? That immediately after we hear about Jesus' journey, we see three candidates for ministry. Three Three disciples. They raise this question, what is it like for a disciple to walk with Jesus? What does it look like for us to walk Uh, and follow him on that path of suffering unto glory. And here we hear difficult words. Here we hear hard words, words of costly commitment. Verse 57. First candidate for ministry steps up to the plate. As they were going along the road... Long road to Jerusalem. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. He's eager to join Jesus. And kind of reminds me of that old hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And if I were to sing the lyrics, be sound really optimistic and peppy. I remember uh, back when I was in youth group and discipleship for Jesus, you know, talk about discipleship was a thing. Sign me up. You know, send me wherever, Lord. I'm your instrument. Let's go. I'm ready to do this thing. And yet, we have to wonder about this guy, about that kind of eagerness for discipleship. We have to ask the question. Do we really know what we're signing up for? Does this guy really get what following Jesus on the road means? Jesus gives us a taste of what it it means. He fires back a riddle at this potential disciple. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not a place to rest. You want comfort? You want stability? Then you'd be off, you'd be better off joining a family of foxes than following me. And I know there's a family in our church who's been posting pictures of foxes in their backyard. 
what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, before you follow me, you might consider jumping in with those foxes, you know, becoming one of their children. Or but before you follow me, you might be more comfortable. In fact, you will definitely be more comfortable uh, joining a, some birds in their nest, chilling there. Because at least they have a place to chill. But here's the reality of joining me on this journey. Homelessness. There are times when Jesus doesn't have uh, a place to rest his head at all. How about when he, was, when he first took on flesh and, be, uh, and appeared as this little infant? There was no room in the inn, and so he resorts to a cattle stall. Rejection, bitter, strange persecution from people opposed to God's purpose. We just saw it with the Samaritans. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you want to join me on this journey, you have to embrace a life of discomfort. Are we prepared to give up the comforts of life to follow Jesus? We prepared to give up our reputation. Brad mentioned this a few weeks ago, and the, the more I hear, the more I see in our world today, the more I think it matters to say it. Are you willing to be called a, a bigot? Are you willing to be called foolish because you take a stand on God's definition of marriage? Are you willing to embrace the total awkwardness of telling someone about Jesus. Maybe a stranger you've met. That's costly. It's a shot to the pride sometimes when you come up and say, can I tell you, do do I have permission to tell you about about a Savior who's changed my life? You say, get lost. I don't want any of this. What about our relationships? Are you willing to put your very relationships on the line for for following Jesus? What happens when you finally find someone, someone you fall head over heels for? Oh, you love their personality. You'd marry this person. But they're not a Christian. Are you willing to say no? You willing to lose your very life, to lose any comfort of this life. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and I think it's said very well. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the cost of discipleship. A life laid out for Jesus. Embracing a life of discomfort. Could the stakes be any higher than that? Let's look at our next candidate. As Jesus walks along that road, his face set like flint towards Jerusalem, he meets a second 
candidate for ministry. Verse 59, Jesus goes right up to him and says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, surely this guy has a hall pass, right? He he just wants to go bury his, his father. And in a family burial was one of the greatest responsibilities in this culture, just as it is an obvious uh, responsibility in our day and age, it was even more so then. It was such a priority, such an urgency, that you were even excused from the sacred festivals of Israel's calendar if it, uh, t- to go and bury your father, your mother. But Jesus responds with these shocking words. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say? He's saying that the kingdom of God has urgent priority. It is of greatest priority. There are others who don't know Christ. There are others who contend to the burial. Let the spiritually dead worry about burying the physically dead. But those who have been born again, those who have seen the light of the gospel, they have a far more urgent priority weighing down on them. They've got to tell others about this life-giving message of Jesus. Now, let's not miss the point of what Jesus is saying. We'd misinterpret this passage if we said, look, you need to ditch all your family responsibilities and you need to go just live a life of of preaching on the streets. That's it. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, sometimes part of his call, part of his costliness and urgency is caring for our family, right? Right? But when that comes into conflict with the demands of the kingdom of God, Jesus wants us to see we have a greater responsibility. He calls you to take up your cross and follow him now. So are we ready to embrace that kind of urgency? A kind of urgency which even outweighs the claims of culture and family. So easy to say. Jesus, I'll take my time to nurture my walk with you just as soon as my family comes along and they're okay with it. Jesus, I'll take the next step in following you just as soon as I graduate college because right now things are just so hectic. Just as soon as I settle into my new job. But Jesus says, you must Follow me now. A life of discomfort, a life of urgency, costly living on the road with Jesus. Could it get any more costly than that? Let's look at our final candidate for discipleship. Meets Jesus along the road. Verse 61 
calls out to Jesus as Jesus journeys on that road. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my home. Again, seems pretty reasonable. In fact, if you were to look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20, even Elijah allowed his disciple Elisha to go do this very thing. Elisha says, hey, let me go say farewell to my family. Elijah says, okay, go and do that and then come to me. But Jesus, look at, what he, look at how he responds. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Demand of discipleship even greater than our expectations, even greater than the prophet Elijah. And if we want to understand these words that Jesus is saying about putting his hand to the plow, not looking back, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of a farmer. Imagine you go out to your field, you want to plow that field, what are you going to do? Have your plow ready, and you're going to have your eyes fixed on the other side of that field. You're going to want to go straight across. But then as soon as you start, maybe you start to look back to say, am I getting that line straight? How are things going back at home? Is the farm on fire? And there you go. You're, you're just plowing across that field. And suddenly what happens? As you look back, you start to go zigzag. Because what do you need? You need that focus, that fixed face, straight across the field to that end point. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to the same costly focus that he had when he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, towards God's mission. Are you willing to take on that kind of focus as you follow Christ? A kind of focus that looks to the kingdom of God even more than it looks to career, status. Philippians 3.13 says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, forgetting that sinful life we left, forgetting those things that tied us down to earthly glory and pursuits. And straining forward to what lies ahead. Are we willing to adopt that kind of focus? A life of discomfort. A life of urgency. A life of focus. It's presented to these three candidates. But we don't hear an answer. Did you notice that? And here's, here's why I think. We don't hear an answer because Luke wants each of these questions, each of these riddles to hit you, you and I. He wants us to sit on them. 
uncomfortably. And then he wants us to follow Jesus along that costly road. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gives you something far greater than all those things that you leave behind him. Far greater than the comforts, the pleasures of this life, far greater than the demands of culture, the the expectations of the family, far greater than all those things that tie us down to earthly pursuit. What do we gain when we leave behind these things? We gain Christ Jesus himself. We gain the very one who gave up all those things for you to forgive your sins to give you salvation to bring you all the way to glory brothers and sisters following Christ Jesus is costly but he is so worth it will you take up this call will you follow him this morning let's go to him in prayer Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hear this call to follow Jesus and to heed it with that kind of fixed focus that he had on his road to Jerusalem. May we have the same fixed focus on Christ Jesus himself, who even now sits at the right hand of God the Father, where he promised to take us. So help us to walk this road, Lord. Help us to walk it in a way that is fit for the kingdom of God. Pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.